Hey guys, I'm Greg. Oh, no Dave today. Dave's uh, doing the right thing. He's, you know, taking time off for Christmas time and celebration and thinking and taking a break from depressing media that's going on out there uh, and focusing on things that matter more. For me, I'm just sort of a news junkie, so I'm going to go ahead and cover some things that maybe some of you out there are kind of like me and you just want to keep hearing what's going on. So, let's jump right in with some headlines, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at the Greg and Dave Show at Outlook.com, the Greg and the letter N, Dave Show the Greg and Dave show at Outlook.com. And this is uh, episode 10. Welcome to episode 10. Let's see, starting right off. This is from Just the News. Oh, and, I, and uh, the background sound that you hear, that's Chloe. She's going to come in here every now and then. She doesn't like cords, so she kind of backs away. Uh, okay, anyway. Semi-irrational attachment. Biden still seeking Iran nuke deal with no fallback plan. Top mayor corrupt election of offices couldn't reconcile 15,000 disparity in outstanding votes. Internal emails. Veterans of Fury. Excuse me. Veterans of Fury Wars. Air Force pledges to crack down on airmen wearing kinky sex toy merc. Alright. Congressman-elect wants children's publications prosecuted if pornographic imagery is shown. Hmm. Accountability. What a concept. City of Denver nears breaking point from influx of illegal migrants, Mayor says. Hmm, that's too bad. From the Pentagon. Quote, at this time, close quote, no evidence to support alien life on Earth. Sorry, folks. Uh, let's see what we got. Uh, Vatican defrocks priests for life. Director Father Frank Pavone for blasphemous. Blasphemous. That's uh, air quotes. Social media posts. I looked into that a little bit further. It turns out that he's supporting Trump, so he needs to be canceled via the Vatican way. Uh, Twitter changes rule on location sharing after Musk says car carrying his child was followed. Oh, so, you know, things aren't going to get done in this country unless it affects the people making the decisions. TSA spends $18.6 million on non-binary screening systems. So does an x-ray machine, is it capable of, you know, when it scans your body, what, what's it thinking? Show a different skeletal structure? Anyway. Let's see. Authorities say Mississippi mother shot two cops dead 
in parking lot during confrontation. So that, that was weird. I kind of looked into that a little bit and I read that article and I did not understand what's going on. It just sounded kind of corrupt. Like there was some shenanigans going on with the law enforcement activity. I don't know. <clears throat> New York AG Latitia James protected chief of staff against sexual harassment allegations lawsuit alleges and we should be surprised fire destroys decades of NYPD evidence hmm. California Democrat rep Porter says calling person a pedophile brands them a criminal is that like calling someone who is a murderer does that brand them as criminal Let's see here. Mississippi executes man who raped, killed 16-year-old girl in 2000. What year are we in? 2022. So 22 years later. What do you think about that justice system, America? Okay, here, let's see. A police officer hails fentanyl. Partners save her with Narcan. So apparently you can watch this. Oh, by the way, this stuff's not in the show notes because I've exceeded my 4,000 character limit. Because there's just so much out there. Anyway, but uh, apparently you can watch this. But the, the heading just struck me. Police officer inhales fentanyl. What, is, what are you thinking when you hear that? Why? Okay, white supremacy, quote-unquote, presentation at Washington Governor's Summit condemns objectivity and individualism. What do you think about that? Objectivity and individualism. AOC's climate change documentary tanks at the box office. Oh, man. I tell you what, that freedom of choice sucks, doesn't it? All right, these headlines are from the Republican Daily. Almost 300 Obama admin emails on Hunter Biden relationship with Burisma set to be released. Here's some good news. Netflix is failing to bring in viewers so badly they're having to refund advertisers. Yikes. Five arrested at Antifa, quote, Antifa Autonomous Zone, close quote, for direct domestic terrorism. Uh, let's see, continuing with, uh, no, excuse me, this is the, these headings are from, or headlines are from Daily Signal, the Daily Signal. Exclusive. Christy Nome's Health Department fires transgender group ahead of Gender Summit. Georgia's Raffensperger squelches New York Times claim he's pushing ranked choice voting. Uh, CBS warnings fawns over nepotistic Pelosi propaganda. And conservatives celebrate death of immigration bill that ignores border crisis, puts big tech ahead of U.S. workers. 
guess there's still some good news out there. The next few headlines are from the Epic Times. New Twitter files show FBI flagging accounts for a company to target. Twitter censorship contributed to destructive pandemic policies and is criminal, says former White House COVID advisor. A doctor censored on Twitter after COVID lockdown warning says unspecific agents behind blacklisting. Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine linked to blood clotting. FDA. Ah, it must be getting really bad if the FDA is having to make that statement. Job gain job gains this year overstated by 1.1 million, says Philadelphia Fed. All right, now let's jump into some meaty stuff here. This is Apollo. Can't see him, but he is a uh, husky. And he's got the eyeball thing where one color is different than the other. All right, this is black homicide rates are back at 90s levels. The problem isn't the guns. This is from the Daily Signal by Jarrett Stepman, December 8th. The left loves to talk about disparate impact until it interferes with its narratives. A recently released study found that homicide rates for black men have shot back up to extremely high levels of the early 1990s. If black lives truly matter, stemming the, stemming the sudden explosion of violent crime where black men are primarily the victims should be a priority. It doesn't help to avoid acknowledging the reasons for the sudden surge. Of course, many on the left deny that there is any crime wave at all. It's all a conspiracy. Excuse me, it's all a conspiracy theory concocted by Fox News and Republicans, they say. Some crimes did go down during the COVID-19 pandemic, but violent crime in the United States shot up dramatically. And it stayed up. In many places, it reached levels not seen in decades. A study by the JAMA Network Open Journal concluded that gun homicide rates among black men have exploded. The study concluded that about 55 black men were, killing, were killed by firearms per 100,000, far beyond any other demographic group in America. These numbers match those seen in early 1990s, when violent crime was generally much higher. Nearly two decades of declining violent crime rates were wiped out in just a few years. Uh, this stuff is in the show notes. Uh, so then they're going to show you some statistical data. From the Wall Street Journal on the JAMA report. Since 1990, rates of gun-related homicide have been highest among black men aged 20 to 24. The analysts said with 142 fatalities per 100,000 people in this group in 2021, a 74 point increase since 2014. Homicide rates are as much as 23 times higher among black men and as much as nearly four times higher among Hispanic men than among white men, the analysis said. Of course, many media outlets portrayed this violent crime surge as a gun problem, or they focused on the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Chris Reese, a co-author of the JAMA study, JAMA being J-A-M-A, said in an interview with the Wall Street Journal that for stemming violence in groups that have high homicide rates, there are certain programs like violence prevention, firearm buyback programs, and safe storage. This hardly seems like a gun storage problem. The idea that this unprecedented spike in violent crime can be blamed on guns stretches all common sense. After all, the cities that experience the highest violent crime spikes are almost all run by Democrats and have some of the strictest gun laws in the country. It's not like there has been some dramatic increase in firearm purchases to match the increases in homicides we are seeing. Clearly something else is going on. There's something going on. Isn't it interesting that the start of this historic gun homicide surge coincided exactly with the rise of Black Lives Matter to fund the police protests and urban riots? CNN got through an entire long news piece on this study and never once mentioned the inconvenient little fact. The pandemic, maybe that's because it was the elite media alongside woke activists who relentlessly pushed the racial reckoning narrative while cheerleading the defund the police movement and making excuses for the mostly peaceful riots. The pandemic has long since receded, but the violent crime has not. There's every indication that this year has been as violent or more violent than the past two. City police departments already on their back feet politically and or suffering abysmal morale due to poor leadership have often struggled to keep up with the problem. As I've noted repeatedly, the retreat from aggressive policing alongside the defunding of police and other anti-law enforcement actions have fueled a kind of national Ferguson slash Minneapolis effect. It's no surprise that Minneapolis is one of the cities hit hardest by the violent crime spike. It doesn't help that radical district attorneys such as New York's Alvin Bragg have drastically reduced punishments for criminals. It's a perfect storm. Some people in these cities are too happy with the situation. But woke activists in places of power keep trying to create lawless anti-law enforcement policies anyway. As Zachary Faria wrote in the Washington Examiner, the city of Minneapolis, which started the summer of Black Lives Matter protests and riots, attempted to abolish its police department, even though a plurality of 47% of black voters opposed the replacement Department of Public Safety, and 75% of black voters thought the city should not cut down the size of its police force. Did you hear that in the news? Perhaps these cities are simply getting what they voted for. Mm. Choices have consequences. Still, it's clear that even the bluest of cities, there are many people who have grown tired of the lawlessness that has been the cause of death of so many. It's now looking like it's going to take an enormous effort like the changes made in New York City in the late 1990s to get this problem under control. As, philis- as philosopher George Santana- Santayana observed, 
Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Here's another one that you'll be happy to hear about. Well, you already know about it because you're feeling it. The average American family has effectively lost $7,100 under Biden economists say. $7,100 that you've lost. What would you have done with that $7,100? This article is by The Daily Signal by Samantha Ashiris, December 13th. An economist says the average American family has effectively lost more than $7,000 due to inflation and higher interest rates since President Joe Biden took office. The Consumer Price Index, a key inflation measure, increases, or excuse me, increased 0.1% in November, up 7.1% from November 2021. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics reported Tuesday, the figure marks a slowdown in rampant inflation, but not a reversal of the trend that has caused prices for everyday goods like food and gas to ratchet up in recent months. Quote, although the slowdown in inflation is certainly welcome, it's not a sign of things to come. The latest data illustrate why families cannot afford to live in Biden's America. Close quote. E.J. Antoni, a research fellow for regional economics in the Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation, said in a Tuesday report. Quote, under Biden, prices have risen so much faster than wages that the average family has lost $5,800 in real annual income. That loss is thanks to the hidden tax of inflation caused by the Biden administration and congressional Democrats' policies. Close quote. And Tony said. So nobody's, quote, raised taxes but they have, and it's done through inflation. <clears throat> Let's see. Libraries refusing Kirk Cameron's book reading could face lawsuits. This is from the Daily Single by Suzanne Bowdy, December 13th. I don't know why this printed out in such a small size font, so bear with me. Uh, as far as dramas go, America's library wars have all the makings of a good Hollywood script. But unfortunately for actor Kirk Cameron, there's nothing fictional about it. The Growing Pain star is the latest parent to do battle with the country's woke book lenders after 50 locations open their doors to drag queens only to slam them in the face of Christians. If the libraries he contacted about a book reading won't reconsider, Cameron has a message for them. Welcome me to your library or see you in court. Since last week, the star has been gobbling up headlines for the shocking hypocrisy he's exposing at dozens of U.S. libraries. After the release of Cameron's new children's book, As You Grow, he decided it was time to counter some of the radical message, messages at U.S. libraries by hosting his own story hour about faith. Turns out sexual perversion is welcome in most branches, but Christian messages are not. 
Did you catch that? Sexual perversion is welcome in most branches, but Christian messages are not. From Scarsdale to San Diego, Cameron said, quote, over 50 libraries rejected the book without even reading it, close quote. On Washington Watch with Family Research Council President Tony Perkins, he explained that the staff they've spoken to haven't even tried to hide their hostility. Quote, one in Rockambu Public Library in Rhode Island said, quote, we are queer, excuse me, we are a queer-friendly library and our messaging just doesn't align. And I'm thinking... Well, with what? The fruit of the Spirit? But the problem is that the fruit of public libraries, as one journalist pointed out, is fake diversity, non-inclusion, drag queens, and rejection of the sexes. Close quote. There's such a, a precious little photo here of a drag queen reading to all the little kitties. Let's see. <clears throat> Brave Books, the publisher of Cameron's latest release, asked the same individual about the application process for a story hour slot anyway. Quote, you can fill out the form to reserve space, they were told, but we won't run program. Close quote. In Alameda County, California, the library said it didn't want a book teaching moral values when it was about to host a gender name change clinic the next day. Whoa. The library said it didn't want a book teaching moral values. In other words, Cameron pointed out, quote, publicly funded libraries, and that's very frustrating, isn't it? Because we're paying for this. Publicly funded libraries are greenlining gender marker and name-changing clinics while denying a story time that would involve the reading of a book that teaches biblical wisdom. How much more clear can it get? The cold shoulder even extended to red states like Indiana, where a branch in the Hoosier capital insisted that it had strategic plan in place, had a strategic plan in place that focuses on authors who are diverse Based on the past two years of drag queen influence, a Christian message would be diverse, don't you think? Still, the spokesman refused. Hmm. Trent Talbot, the CEO of Brave Books, could only shake his head at the resistance they've faced. Quote, it's devastating to discover that many of our publicly funded libraries have now become indoctrination centers that refuse to allow biblical wisdom to be taught to our children. Close quote. Clearly, the left's targeting of young children is intentional. Family Research Council senior fellow George Barna would agree. A book about the virtues of love, joy, peace, patient, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control would be serious competition for the culture's drumbeat of sexual confusion. Quote, we know a person's worldview develops when they're a child, right between the ages of 15 to 18 months and 13 years of age. So those children are very vulnerable, close quote. 
Of course, some libraries, Cameron explained, aren't nearly so close-minded to this faith-based influence. Several, he told Perkins, have flooded the publisher with invitations to visit their branches. However, but the ones I'm interested in are those that are committed to this idea that are committed to this idea that they are inclusive and that they are all about diversity. So my question is, why are you excluding me and millions of people who would love to hear, who would love for their children to learn how to be gentle and self-controlled and compassionate? After all, public school children are dealing with massive amounts of mental illness, drug overdoses, suicide, cyberbullying, and school shootings. Couldn't they use a little help in the fruit of the Spirit? If this pattern of discrimination continues, Cameron warned, there will be consequences. Quote, I hope these libraries welcome me to Indiana and New York, but should they refuse to rent me a room like those used by drag queens in June, I am prepared to assert my rights under the Constitution in court. Close quote. If that's what it takes to stop the left, so be it. Quote, the family and the church are two great pillars of Western civilization. And those things need to be removed and taken out of the way in order to fundamentally change the power structure and the moral value and excuse me and the moral value code of the nation. And that's why parents are fighting back. Close quote. Cameron told Fox News host Tucker Carlson. At the end of the day, he emphasized, quote, goodwill always wins over evil. Close quote. But that doesn't mean Christians can sit on their hands. We need to have heroes rise up out of the cultural darkness and pressures of our time and begin to apply these same truths in modern America and around the world so that we can see a greater awakening again. We need all hands on deck. For those of you who are rising up in the cultural darkness, I salute you. All right, here we go. Leading toy company promotes trans agenda to kids through its products. This is the Daily Signal from Laurel Dugan, December 13th. Mattel, the massive corporation that owns Barbie, Fisher-Price, Hot Wheels, American Girl, and several other iconic toy companies, is promoting transgender ideology to children through its products. The brand has introduced several transgender-themed products aimed at a child audience in recent years, including a recent book about boy image that included a section encouraging gender transitions for girls with body image issues. Mattel has been praised by the alphabet activists and boasted of its alphabet inclusion efforts. Uh, that's me. That's the LGB, you know, I just call them the alphabet group. Uh, let's see, uh, quote, one of the best ways we can contribute to a diverse, equitable, and inclusive future is through the toys we design, close quote. The company wrote in a 2020 press release, quote, our most recent example is Uno's new Play with Pride deck, which celebrates the alphabet community and includes a donation to the It Gets Better project 
in honor of Pride Month, and there are many more, close quote. Uh, you know, by the way, I just want to insert a little technical note here that uh, to make this stuff more organic, I, I don't often read this stuff in its entirety when I come to you, so we're kind of reading it together for the first time. Okay, now back to the show. Mattel came under fire most recently for an American Girl book aimed at young girls that promoted gender transitions without parental consent and encouraged girls to stifle any discomfort they felt about males using women's restrooms. I just want to back up for a second about these gender-neutral toys. Um, so when I was a young warthog and I had dolls like G.I. Joe, the Bionic Man, and so on. Um, they, you know, when when you take I don't know how this is gonna come across, but when unclothed, when these dolls are unclothed, they are freaking pretty gender neutral. I think there wasn't any. Um, detailed genitalia formed into the mold of these dolls even for the women there was the breasts but that was it so it's interesting that now they want to I don't know what they want I don't know what's going to change I don't know how anyway I just thought of that you guys remember playing with dolls Quote, parts of your body may make you feel uncomfortable and you may want to change the way you look. Close quote. The book read, according to Fox, quote, that's totally okay. You can appreciate your body for everything it allows you to experience and still want to change certain things about it. Close quote. Here's another quote. While gender expression is what you show on the outside, gender identity is how you feel on the inside. A girl, a boy, or someone who doesn't quite fit into their category, it says. Someone whose gender is different than the sex they were assigned at birth is transgender. What do you think is going to happen in the future when a child is born? How is that child going to be labeled, with air quotes, male, female, you decide, parents decide? I'm just curious. Uh, let's see. The company released the first transgender Barbie doll in May, modeled after the actor Laverne Cox as part of Barbie's tribute collection. Laverne Cox made history by becoming the first trans Barbie doll, and I would like one, says Matt XIV from Twitter. Quote, I hope that kids of all gender identities can look at this Barbie and dream, Cox said. Close quote. Barbie also released a line of gender-bending dolls years earlier in 2019 to help children explore gender. The dolls look androgynous and can be accessorized with hair and clothes to look male, female, or gender neutral. Now that's interesting. Who decides what 
gender neutral clothing looks like. Quote, this line allows all kinds, all kids to express themselves freely, which is why it's, which is why it resonates so strongly with them. Close quote. Kim Kumun, senior vice president of Mattel Fashion Doll Design, said in a press release. Quote, we're hopeful. Creatable world will encourage people to think more broadly about how all kids can benefit from doll play. Close quote. Alphabet advocates praised the doll for validating transgender identities. Quote, the social and cultural validation of trans and non-binary gender identities through this doll feels really powerful. Close quote. Molly Woodstock, a gender educator, told NPR. Quote, it's unarguably good that all children are being given the option to play with some sort of doll that doesn't have a neatly assigned gender or gender roles close quote a neatly assigned gender interesting Mattel has earned two perfect scores on the corporate equity excuse me the corporate Equality Index of the Human Rights Campaign, which pressures businesses to offer pro-alphabet workplace policies and to promote alphabet issues publicly. The Human Rights Campaign credited Mattel with offering, quote, three distinct efforts of outreach or engagement to broader alphabet community. And three alphabet internal training and education best practices close quote the company also joined a letter in joined a letter in march alongside more than 200 other corporations condemning quote anti transgender legislation close quote which would presumably include florida's parental rights in education bill banning classroom instruction on gender and sexuality from kindergarten through third grade, as well as a series of state-level bills restricting childhood sex changes. Why is it okay for them to force their indoctrination on our kids, but it's not for okay for us, the parents, to say, no, I don't want you to do that. I mean, think about being a Vulcan for a moment, and all you can do is examine logic. Can you explain how that is at all logical? Mattel did not respond to the Daily Caller News Foundation's request for comment. Shall we continue? Cross-dressing book given to pre-K pupils forces school district to revamp vetting process by Michael Ryan, December 12th from the Daily Signal. A school district that gave preschoolers a book on cross-dressing has changed its procedures for giving out books after news of the incident surfaced last month. Excuse me, late last month. At first, reported exclusively by the Lion and the Heartlander news sites, a four-year-old preschooler in the Turner School District in Kansas City, Kansas, took home the book, quote, 
Jacob's New Dress, close quote. It's a picture book in which a little boy wears girls' clothes and even competes with his friend Emily to be a princess. Quote, I don't think this should be obviously any kind of a subject for a school to be speaking about, close quote. Jim Clay, the four-year-old's daughter, the four-year-old's grandfather, told the lion, quote, the sexualization of our children in society today is just disgusting. The grooming that's taking place is disgusting, close quotes. Clay reported the Turner District had explained what happened and what changes will be made to prevent such a sexually provocative book from being tendered to young children there again. The district's statement to Clay and apparently others says it's says its early childhood program began accepting once weekly donated books last year from local nonprofit liter literacy KC. Such partnerships, the district said, help it expand resources and community outreach. Quote, please be assured that these books were not a part of district curriculum. We were not required reading and were sent home to be read at the discretion of parents. Close quote. The district wrote without naming the book in question or explaining how it escaped the district's notice. Quote, Moving forward, our district staff will be pre-approving all books and activities provided by Literacy KC to ensure they are age-appropriate and align with our district curriculum and educational mission. Close quote. The statement concluded, notably without, apo without apology to offend to offended parents and guardians. Case closed. Maybe, maybe not. Let's see. Quote, this past spring we learned State Farm was distributing transgender books in Florida. Close quote, says Mary Miller. All right, that's disappointing. Um, we have policies with State Farm. Uh, says Mary Miller, an Oregon-based parents' right advocate who spoke about the cultural divide between parents and schools in Kansas City at a community forum in June. Quote, Now Literacy Casey is doing the same thing in Kansas City preschool classrooms after having received a multi-million dollar grant from the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Close quote. Miller said, adding, and this is a quote, there is a coordinated effort by trans rights activist groups such as GLSEN, formerly the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, and I've never heard of this, and the Human Rights Campaign to Push Transgender Ideology on School Children Nationwide. Literacy KC will need to clean up its act to regain the trust of parents and grandparents in the Kansas City community. Moreover, as Turner has just done, other school districts may need to reconsider the wisdom of outsourcing the approval of classroom materials to even well-intentioned outside organizations. The incident also raises questions about Literacy KC's vetting process and how many other school districts in the Kansas City region have handed out books such as Jacob's New Dress to the youngest of students and whether parents have been made aware of it. You notice how 
when these evildoers get caught, there's no punishment. So why should we expect any change in their behavior? The Lion sent questions to both the Turner District and Literacy KC. Among other things, we asked Literacy KC if this book is being given out to other districts in the area, and if so, which ones? If Literacy KC continues to consider a cross-dressing book to be appropriate for such young children, or if not, whether it will suspend the book's distribution and whether it is fair for such sexually and gender identity suggestive books to be given to such young children without pre-approval by parents. The Lion also has requested copies of any correspondence between the Turner District and Literacy KC about the incident. The Turner District is not the only one that has been roiled by controversy over this and other gender fluidity books in early grades. The book was noted as objectionable to parents in news reports last month about outrage over transgender policies in Lawrence Township Public Schools in New Jersey. Quote, can we just get back to teaching? Close quote. One New Jersey parent was quoted. I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. I mean, just think about that. Can we get back to teaching? And they may think, we are teaching. They're not really teaching, they're indoctrinating. There is a difference. But I wonder when it was when teachers decided to stop teaching English, math, reading. All right. Quote, Jacob's new dress, close quote, also was pulled from the Charlotte Mecklenburg school system in North Carolina in 2017. The media portrays such actions as right-wing book banning rather than a matter of discretion and Jacob's new dress as part of a first grade lesson on what to do when someone is bullied. Uh, critics counter that anti-bullying messages can be transmitted outside of a cross dressing context. Moreover, in making the issue one of book banning, the media overlook the role and rights of parents in bringing up children. The media don't, for instance, call it banning when the Motion Picture Association of America warns parents about age inappropriate materials in film. It's a good point. With its PG, PG-13, R, and NC-17 adults only ratings. NC-17, and what is that even about? Just PG. It used to be PG and R. No, G, PG, and R. Remember those days? Then PG-13. Now, can you can that fluctuate? Can you, can you go PG-14, 15, 16? Yet, with books, it's anything goes. Not for Clay, nor many other parents and grandparents like him. Quote, my kids used to dress up like Power Rangers when they were kids, and we'd pretend that they were Power Rangers with them, close quote, Clay said. Quote, I'm not interested in pretending that guys are girls and girls are guys. All three of my kids grew up in the Turner District. If there was any questionable material, they always allowed us to opt out or keep our kid home that day. 
and they would keep us informed, but apparently not with this, close quote. This article was originally published by Real Clear Education and made available via Real Clear Wire. Okay. Conservatives, Christians, conservatives, comma, Christians systematically excluded from benefits of Christmas shopping on Amazon. By Tyler O'Neill, December 14th from the Daily Signal. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. I do get stuff from the Amazon. And like we've talked about before, it's getting harder and harder to conduct business with entities that aren't corrupt. And that's sad. Scrolling through Amazon to find the perfect Christmas gift for your niece? Like, it, you know, it's a question. Did you know that the moment you click buy on that doll, you can support a charity of your choice with some of the proceeds of every purchase? Of course, Amazon won't let you support just any cause. Your shopping can't help violent white supremacists like the Ku Klux Klan or anti-Semitic groups like the Nation of Islam or supporters of that notoriously evil cause, religious liberty. Take the Alliance Defending Freedom, excuse me, take the Alliance Defending Freedom, for example, ADF. One of the premier legal nonprofits in the United States, which has won several cases at the Supreme Court in recent years, has been excluded from Amazon's charity service, Amazon Smile. <laughs> Meanwhile, the notorious scandal-plagued Southern Poverty Law Center, the organization that got ADF blacklisted in the first place is more than happy to tell supporters that they can help the SPLC, Southern Poverty Law Center, raise money without directly sending the SPLC a dime. Quote, Did you know there's an easy way to support the SPLC at no cost to you while shopping with Amazon? Close quote. The SPL is sent in an email. Quote, Amazon donates a percentage of every purchase made through smile.amazon.com. Close quote. Here's another quote. If you plan on shopping with Amazon this holiday season, take advantage of this opportunity to support our work for justice, equity, and human rights every time you make a purchase. The SPLC added. The organization even included two graphics to help supporters use Amazon Smile and donate to the SPLC. If you're not already aware, the SPLC, Southern Poverty Law Center, is an evil entity. Uh, so here's an example of an email. Tyler, did you know there's an easy way, blah, blah, blah. If you plan on shopping with the holiday seasons and taking advantage of the opportunity to support our work, our work for justice, equity, and human rights, blah, blah, blah. Check out our guide to Amazon Smile and start making a difference today. Uh, thank you, as always, for your continued support for our mission and our movement. And we wish you an early happy Thanksgiving. Sincerely, your friends at the Southern Poverty Law Center.
Southern Poverty Law Center, Amazon Smile, email, screenshot. This, or excuse me, the SPLEC failed to mention, however, that donations would prop up the organization's discredited accusations of hate, air quotes, against mainstream conservative and Christian organizations, such as ADF. Amazon systematically excludes many conservative Christians from the kind of Christmas cheer that comes with knowing that every purchase helps a good cause of their choice. Thanks to Amazon's decision to exclude organizations that the SPLC brands hate groups. Those who support religious liberty can't help ADF with their doll or other purchases. As I explain in my book, Making Hate Pay, the Corruption of the Southern Poverty Law Center. The SPLC took the program it used to bankrupt organizations associated with the Ku Klux Klan and weaponized it against conservative groups, partially in order to scare donors into ponying up cash and partially to silence his ideological opponents. The SPLC places ADF and other conservative organizations such as the Family Research Council, the American Family Association, the Pacific Justice Institute, and the American Freedom Law Center on a hate map, along with Ku Klux Klan chapters. Critics across the political spectrum have voiced opposition and alarm to the idea that a mainstream legal nonprofit like ADF has found itself on the list. Nadine Strosen, former president of the American Civil Liberties Union, publicly dissented from the hate group accusation against ADF, saying that such a claim suppresses conversations we need to have and voices that should be heard. That's when the ACL was good. ACLU is good. Michael Weinstein, founder and president of the secularist group Military Religious Freedom Foundation, rejected ADF's policy positions but affirmed the group's integrity, compassion, character, empathy, honor, and concern for their fellow humans. Oh, look, there's a hate map. That's special. Southern Poverty Law Center 2021 hate map. Former employees have also condemned the SPLC's hate group accusations. In 2019, the SPLC fired its co-founder and saw its president step down amid accusation of racial discrimination and sexual harassment, uh, some of which traced back decades. During this scandal, a former employee revealed that the hate group list is cynical fundraising scam. And that's a quote. Rep. Matt Gates. Republican of Florida, in a congressional hearing, asked then-Amazon CEO Jeff Bozo why Amazon continues to rely on the SPLC. Bozo acknowledged that the company uses the Southern Poverty Law Center data to say which charities are extremist organizations. Quote, Sir, I'm going to acknowledge this as an imperfect system, Bozo said, adding that he would welcome alternative suggestions. Amazon, under current CEO Andy Jackass, did not respond to the Daily Signal's request for comment about whether the company would reconsider using the SPLC's hate group list to exclude charities from Amazon Smile. The Ruth Institute, an 
interfaith coalition aimed at helping survivors of the sexual revolution applied to join Amazon Smile back in 2016. Quote, we were officially rejected from the participation, close quote. The organization's treasurer, Rachel Golden, told the Daily Signal. She, react, she reached out to Amazon Smile and received an email with registration steps. After she followed, then Amazon sent another email noticing, noting that the Ruth Institute is, quote, not eligible to participate in Amazon Smile, close quote. Quote, we rely on the Southern Poverty Law Center to determine which charities are in certain ineligible categories, close quote. The follow-up email states, continue, quote, you have been excluded from the Amazon Smile program because the Southern Poverty Law Center lists the Ruth Institute in an ineligible category, close quote. And the copy of the email. In branding the Ruth Institute a hate group, the SPLC repeatedly cites comments from the Institute's founder, Jennifer Robach, Robach Morse, stating that homosexual activity is intrinsically disordered. Yet Morse did not come up with that language on her own. It traces back to the catechism of the Catholic Church, which states, and I'm really sorry if I mispronounce that, homosexuality refers to relations between men or between women who experience an exclusive or predominant sexual attraction toward persons of the same sex. It has taken a great variety of forms through the centuries and in different cultures. Its psychological genesis remains largely unexplained. Basing itself on sacred scripture, which presents homosexual acts as acts of grave depravity, tradition has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. They are contrary to the natural law. They close the sexual act of the gift of life. They do not proceed from a genuine, effective, and sexual complementary, complementary, complementarity. Under no circumstances can they be approved. Inciting the Morse quote as evidence that the Ruth Institute is a hate group, the SPLC includes context showing that Morse intentionally cited Catholic doctrine. Quote, it's really important to be well informed about what the church actually says about homosexual practice. The church is very clear that the same-sex sexual acts are intrinsically disordered and can never be morally accepted, close quote, she said. If echoing the Catholic Church's official position, homosexuality makes an organization a hate group, why does SPLC not put the Catholic Church itself on its hate map? The SPLC has not commented on the matter and did not respond to the Daily Signal's request for comment for this article. Quote, Unfortunately, Amazon is continuing to rely on the thoroughly discredited, blatantly partisan SPLC as gatekeeper for its SMILE program. Jeremy Tedesco, Senior Counsel and Senior Vice President of the Corporate Engagement at ADF, told the Daily Signal, quote, It's been over two years since Amazon CEO Jeff Bozos acknowledged to Congress that his company's use of the SPLC hate group list to determine which nonprofits can participate is an imperfect system. 
Mr. Bozo also stated that he would like a better source if he can get it. But the issue remains unresolved. By continuing to depend on the SPLC's own biased and ideologically driven definition of hate group, which one former SPLC employee rightly described as part of a highly profitable scam aimed at bilking gullible northern liberals, Mr. Bozo and Amazon are depriving Americans of their ability to choose which causes they want their hard-earned dollars to support, Tedesco added. That's wrong, and Amazon should take tangible steps to restore a culture of charitable choice in its giving program. The hate group attack carries the threat of more dire consequences than just the Amazon Smile blacklist, however. A deranged would-be terrorist used the SPLC's hate map to target the conservative Christian group Family Research Council's Washington, D.C. headquarters in 2012, intending to shoot everyone in the building and smear a Chick-fil-A sandwich in the face of each victim. Uh, alphabet activists had boycotted Chick-fil-A at the time, noting the fast food chain's charity the Windshape Foundation had donated millions of dollars to conservative Christian organizations. A security guard in the lobby prevented the attack, and a jury later convicted the man on terrorism charges. Although the SPLC condemned the assault, it has kept the Family Research Council on its hate map ever since. Amazon has acknowledged that this is an imperfect system but it appears unwilling to change it, even when it means that Amazon Smile systematically prevents conservatives and Christians from the same Christmas cheer that the SPLC offers its supporters. Okay, remember we talked about keeping you informed on the COVID vaccine issue? This is from the Epic Times or Epic Health. Australian cardiologist calls to halt M. RNA COVID-19 vaccines citing heart damage. This is from Jennifer Margulis and Joe Wang, December 14th. Melanie Leffler, a mother of two in Sydney, Australia, had four COVID-19 vaccines, but on November 19th, 2022, after coming down with a sore throat and a runny nose, Leffler tested positive for COVID. For COVID. She said goodnight to her family, her husband, Mick Hogan, and their two daughters, Clemmy, age four, and Lottie, nine months. They would never speak to her again. Died in her sleep. Although she didn't seem particularly sick, the 39-year-old health care worker died in her sleep that night. Even though she was quadruple vaccinated, a December 3rd article about her death described it as a COVID tragedy. Quote unquote. 18 year old Australian Monica Eskandar couldn't wait to take her to take her end of the year exams. Instead, Eskandar was rushed to the hospital with severe chest pains. The pain, according to reporting, by MSN.com started just hours after she received a COVID-19 vaccine. Doctors diagnosed Eskandar with COVID-related pericarditis. 
Pericarditis is a condition that involves inflammation of the tissues lining the heart. Eskandar's symptoms were so severe that she was not able to sit for her exams. Ironically, she, excuse me, ironically, the reason she got the COVID-19 vaccine in the first place was because it was mandated in order for her to take the exam. A growing body of peer-reviewed scientific evidence links heart issues with the mRNA vaccines. So much so that the CDC and other government authorities in the United States and around the world now recognize that the COVID-19 vaccines are causing myocarditis. Which is heart inflammation. Considered to be more severe than pericarditis because it causes inflammation of the heart muscle. In June 2022, the FDA's Tom MD, MPH, MBA, identified as part of the CDC COVID-19 Vaccine Coordination Unit, reported that, quote, current evidence supports a casual association between mRNA COVID-19 vaccination and myocarditis and pericarditis, close quote. Six months later, as of December 2nd, there have been a total of 35,718 cases of myocarditis pericarditis reported to the government's Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. After witnessing as many as 70 cases of vaccine-related heart conditions similar to Eskandar's Australian cardio, similar to Eskandar's, Australian cardiologist Dr. Ross Walker is now saying publicly that he believes there should be a ban on the use of the mRNA booster vaccines. According to Walker, the mRNA vaccines are very pro-inflammatory. He told Daily Mail Australia. He contended that the Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunization should never have mandated mRNA vaccines. Quote, I've seen many people getting vaccine reactions who get symptoms for about three to six months afterwards. Close quote. Walker said, continuing his quote, I've seen 60 to 70 patients in my town practice over the past 12 months who have had similar reactions. Those reactions have included shortness of breath, heart palpitations, and chest pain, he continued. Eskandar said that even though her symptoms began immediately after the vaccine, Doctors originally denied the connection, telling her it only happens to teenage boys. You can't breathe, she said. You can't sit. You can't lay down. It's horrible. You actually feel like you're having a heart attack, she's quoted. After conducting a thorough review on the scientific evidence, Dr. Joseph Ladapo, the Florida Surgeon General, directed his state to no longer recommend any COVID-19 vaccines for men under 39 because of safety concerns. Doctors Walker and Ladapo are not the only medical professionals voicing concerns about the safety, efficacy, and necessity of the COVID-19 vaccines, especially for children and young adults. Among the doctors who have called for the COVID-19 vaccinations campaigns to be halted is Japanese, Japanese cardiovascular surgeon Dr. Kenji Yamamoto in a letter published in the peer-reviewed journal Virology. 
Yamamoto argued that the COVID-19 booster shots are not safe. In particular, Yamamoto voiced concern over an adverse effect of the vaccine known as vaccine-induced immune thrombotic and thromboycytopenia, otherwise known as VITT. Not only that, but since the administration of the vaccine, Yamamoto has seen an increase in the risk of infection among his patients at the Akamura Memorial Hospital and Shizuoka in Japan. Specifically, he cites that many of his patients have contracted severe infections due to inflammation after heart surgery. Yamamoto believes that his patients' suppressed immunity is a result of COVID-19 vaccinations. Several high-profile medical doctors have themselves experienced severe side effects after being vaccinated. Vaccine research Dr. Gregory Poland from Rochester, Minnesota, has been struggling with life-debilitating tinnitus. Belgian immunologist, whom the Atlantic described as one of Europe's best-known champions of medical research, Michael Goldman was battling lymphoma. He had devastating side effects after his third Pfizer vaccine. Severe night sweats, exhaustion, and engorged lymph nodes. A scan taken after the vaccine revealed that the 67-year-old had had a barrage of new lesions. Like someone had set off fireworks inside his body. Goldman suspected that the COVID booster has made him sicker. His brother, who is also a doctor, as well as the head of nuclear medicine at the Université Libre de Bruxelles Hospital, suspected as much as well. The rapid progression of Goldman's angioimmunoblastic T-cell lymphoma following the BMT162B2 mRNA booster was published as a peer-reviewed case report in the journal Frontiers in Medicine in November 2021. Since its publication, the case study has been viewed 380,411 times. While Poland and Goldman still seem to be champions of COVID-19 vaccines, many doctors who once advocated for universal COVID-19 vaccination have since changed their minds. British cardiologist Dr. Asim Malhorta initially encouraged the widespread use of COVID-19 vaccines. But then Malhorta's father passed away suddenly of cardiac arrest after receiving the jab. His father's death prompted Malhorta to begin researching the safety profile of the vaccines. Based on his findings, he no longer believes the theoretical benefits of COVID-19 vaccination outweigh, outweighing the very real risk. Polit politicians are also becoming more vocal about ending vaccination mandates. On December 7, 2022, Senator Ron Johnson led a roundtable discussion called COVID-19 Vaccines, What They Are, How They Work, and Possible Causes of Injuries. The next day, the House voted for an $858 billion defense bill that included a repeal of the vaccine mandate for the military. Thank God. Now we just need to give back pay and reinstate those that left or were ordered to leave. COVID-19 infection mild, milder 
COVID-19 vaccines are not safe or effective. All right, cardiologist Dr. Ross Walker called to halt only the mRNA vaccines for young adults in favor of non-mRNA options, but a growing body of scientific literature, some of which has been retracted for political reasons, as well as state data and testimony from clinicians, has shown that none of the existing COVID-19 vaccines is a safe is as safe or effective as advertised. At the same time, with Omicron, Omicron and other strains replacing the other more virulent SARS-CoV-2 variants, COVID-19 infections seem to be becoming milder. Dr. Mahorta said in a recent interview, this vaccine is not completely safe and has unprecedented harms. And that was a quote. He concluded in a peer-reviewed article published in the Journal of Insulin Resistance that a pause and reappraisal of vaccination Hi, Chloe. That a pause and reappraisal of global vaccination policies for COVID-19 is long overdue. That was a quote. One thing I want to encourage you to do is to click on this in the show notes. Australian cardiologist calls for halt mRNA COVID-19 vaccine citing heart damage because there's a video. It's 15 minutes, but I think it's worth your time. It's very, very, very informative about COVID-19 in a greater detail with scientific evidence demonstrating the dangers of this vaccine. Mildly dead? German autopsy study undercuts feds dismissed of covid vax heart inflammation risks this is from just the news by greg piper on december 15th federal public health officials and medical pundits have often written off the heart inflammation that sometimes follows covid 19 vaccination as mild and temporary but a new study in a peer-reviewed journal finds that the consequences can be severe and permanent and standardized, standardized autopsies of 25 patients without pre-existing illnesses who were found unexpectedly dead at home with, within 20 days of vaccination. Heidelberg University researchers found five cardiac autopsy findings consistent with epimyocarditis, According to their study in Clinical Research and Cardiology, the German Cardiac Society's official journal, the ages and sexes of the five patients differed from the demographics most associated with post-vaccination myocarditis in prior research. Young adults to about age 40, especially males, three were women and the range was 46 to 75 years old with a median of 58. an mit study published in a nature journal this spring found covid vaccination was significantly associated close quote unquote with a 25 percent jump in emergency medical services for heart problems in 16 to 39 year olds in highly vaccinated israel Scientific reports quickly added a scarlet letter to the study, and editors 
notes promising to respond to criticisms of the conclusions and told just the news last month it was still investigating. A preprint study of about 300 Thai teenagers found cardiovascular effects in nearly a third after their second Pfizer dose. While cases were usually mild, with full recovery in two weeks, three were hospitalized and four had markers of cardiac injury that were above normal even without overt symptoms. The study was published in August in the peer-reviewed Tropical Medicine and Infectious Disease, part of Swiss Open Access Science publisher MDPI. The Heidelberg Medical Pathologist consulted the federal state COVID Autopsy and Biomaterial Registry Baden-Württemberg and used only autopsies performed in their own hospital to ensure that all medical documents and findings were available. All five patients had taken the mRNA vaccines from either Pfizer or Moderna. Four patients died after their first vaccine dose and the fifth after the second. Every dose was within a week of the most recent dose. One case wasn't classified as definitive myocarditis because myocardial infiltration did not exceed the threshold of the Dallas criteria used to diagnose myocarditis. Quote, all cases lacked significant coronary heart disease, acute or chronic manifestations, or ischemic heart disease manifestations of cardiomyopathy or other signs of pre-existing clinically relevant heart disease. Close quote. The researchers wrote, This factor and the close temporal relation to vaccination along with negative testing for potential myocarditis causing infectious agents and the presence of peculiar CD4 predominant T-cell infiltrate associated with immune-mediated mechanisms support a casual link to vaccination day reason. I'm not a doctor, so that's a lot of medical jargon. The researchers said they hadn't observed comparable myocardial inflammatory infiltration during the past 20 years of their university's autopsy service as validated by history logical reevaluation of age and sex matched cohorts from three independent periods. Corresponding author Peter Schermacher told the Brownstone Institute they hadn't ruled out vaccination as cause of death for other 20 patients whose autopsy results were inconclusive. The researchers played it safe by including only cases where the constellation was unequivocally clear and no other causes of death was demonstrable despite all efforts. Schermacher explained, otherwise less strict criteria may lead to contamination of the collective. The pathologist continued adding that his team wanted to establish the fact not the size. The paper shows the five patients suffered 
an autoimmune attack on their own heart cells that cause such fast heartbeats that once the tachycardia unexpectedly started, they died in minutes. The heart is effectively pumping no blood, former vaccine microbiologist Joe Wang wrote in Epic Times essay with journalist Jennifer Margulius, which I just read earlier. Cool. Quote, if you're not in a hospital situation with a defibrillator, close quote, when this happens, quote, you're going to die unexpectedly at home, close quote, retired UK nurse educator John Campbell said in his review of the study. Quote, the inflammation was fairly mild in most of these cases, too little to affect the contraction of the myocardium on its own, but because they were electrically unstable, the person basically just drops dead, said Campbell, who runs a popular YouTube medical channel. So let's not minimize it. That some argue is what the Journal of the American Medical Association Pediatrics did in its new meta-analysis of 23 studies on the mRNA vaccine-associated myocarditis in adolescents and young adults which described their outcomes as largely favorable. More quotes. Although 15.6% of the patients had left ventricular systolic dysfunction, only 1.3% had severe LV systolic dysfunction. The international team of cardiology researchers wrote, Late gadolinium enhancement or scarring was found in 87.2% and 23.2% required intensive care unit admission. However, no in-hospital mortality was observed. Cardiac electrophysiologist John Mandrola, who hosts the podcast This Week in Cardiology, said it was both true and misleading to rely on studies that find about 1 in 100,000 incidents of vaccine-induced myocarditis because of the stark difference in risk by demographic. Another quote. The core problem with myocarditis of any sort is the asymmetry, asymmetry and unpredictability of risks, he wrote in the Sensible Medicine newsletter December 12th. Yes, most patients with myocarditis recover. But sometimes myocarditis can be horrible, and there are few, if any, predictors. University of Pittsburgh medical professor Walid Jalad, director of its Center for Pharmaceutical Policy and Prescribing, praised Mondrola's analysis. The unknowns around potential long-term issues for myocarditis are real, but they have been constantly minimized by many doctors talking publicly about it, Jalad tweeted. More quotes. It's mild unless you are in the ICU with myocarditis. John Hopkins, medical professor and National Academy of Sciences member Marty Makari tweeted, citing a December 2021 New England Journal of Medicine study of post-Pfizer myocarditis in Israel. One of the five patients in recent German study found dead at home with it. Honestly, folks, just go and watch that 15-minute video about this dude talking about it. And he's got these pictures um, 
through a microscope uh, magnified and explains about the stress on the heart muscle and saying that this isn't supposed to be here. Uh, okay, so these losers voted against reinstating military members discharged for refusing to get vaccinated. I'm sorry, these Republicans voted. So let's let's learn who they are so that you can contact them and, and tell them how you feel about it. From the Daily Singri Sing Signal, Mary Margaret Olihan, December 16th. Uh, again, fine print, I don't understand. But anyway, uh, four Republican losers, I mean senators, voted Thursday against reinstating military members who were discharged for refusing to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Mitt Romney of Utah, Mike Rounds of South Dakota, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, and Susan Collins of Maine voted against Republican Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson's amendment that would have reinstated and provided back pay to military members discharged for, for refusing to get vaccinated. That is shameful. Johnson sought to amend the 2023 National Defense Authorization Act, which passed the Senate 83-11 Thursday night. Though this amendment failed, Republicans were able to include a provision in the NDAA that halts the Department of Defense from forcing service members to get the COVID-19 vaccine. It's still wrong. These were direct orders from commanding officers, Cassidy said in a statement to the Daily Signal on the vaccine mandate. I voted to end the COVID vaccine mandate in the military, but it is not Congress's place to intervene in the chain of command and set a precedent for military personnel to ignore direct orders. The other senators did not immediately respond to requests for comment from the Daily Signal. Here's a picture of these losers. Many service members have requested religious exemptions to the vaccine. 9,068 members of the Army, 4,309 members of the Navy, 1,350 members of the Coast Guard, 3,740 members of the Marines, and roughly 11,000 members of the Air Force requested religious exemptions. The Daily Signal has learned. The military granted very few of these exemption requests, 123 to members of the Army, 65 to members of the Navy, 12 to members of the Coast Guard, 23 to members of Marines, and roughly 200 to members of the Air Force. In total, 8,424 military members have been discharged. The Department of Defense confirmed to the Daily Signal on Thursday, 1,841 in the Army, 3,717 in the Marines, 1,631 active in the Navy, and 401 in the Navy Reserve, and 834 in the Air Force. The Daily Signal previously shared a number of stories about military members discharged for refusing to be vaccinated. Quote, there is one word that sums up what has been 
perpetrated against the good men and women who simply reserved their rights afforded to them by the Constitution. Close quote. Air Force member Brian Saunders told the Daily Signal, Betrayal is that. If they wanted to get a sex change or if they had left the army because they couldn't get a sex change, you could bet that they would have gotten their back pay. This, the, this, uh, this stuff is not all this stuff from, the, from this moment forward is also not in the show notes because I've exceeded my 4,000 character limit. But I just wanted to read it to you because I thought you'd like to know. Department of Energy fires gender fluid nuclear official amid luggage theft charges. Uh, this is from Just the News by Ben Whedon from December 12th. Last week, authorities charged Brinton with a second theft, this time involving luggage allegedly stolen from Las Vegas airport. Now, I looked up this dude on the internet, and his net worth is a million dollars. So I can't be the only one asking the question, why would you steal luggage? In the first place, but not alone for money. The Department of Energy has fired Sam Britton, thought to be the nation's first openly gender-fluid federal employee amid multiple allegations of luggage theft. Sam Britton is no longer a DOE employee, a department spokesperson told the Daily Beast on Monday. By law, the Department of Energy cannot comment further on personal matters. Britain drew national attention for allegedly stealing a Vera Bradley suitcase from an airport luggage claim, which the owner claimed contained roughly $2,325 in the value of its contents. Though Britain originally denied stealing the bag, the now former DOE official later called the airport to say it had been mistakenly taken and would be returned. Last week, authorities charged Britain with a second theft, this time involving luggage allegedly stolen from a Las Vegas airport. Britain served as the DOE's Deputy Assistant Secretary of Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition prior to termination. Okay, moving on. Membranous nephro nephropathy after COVID-19 vaccine. So again, guys, we're just giving it to you on the negatives of getting this vaccine with the mRNA marker in it. Spike protein induces autoimmunity against PLA2 receptor. This is from Epic Health by Dr. Peter A. McCullough and John Leake. December 10th. On my last flight, I was searching for a seat, and a kind woman who appeared to recognize me smiled at an open seat next to her. I sat down and learned she is married to a prominent government official with whom she was traveling. 
As we talked, she told me her story of talking of taking one of the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines and then developing membranous nephropathy. This is a disorder caused by autoantibodies directed against the phospholipase A2 receptor on podocytes. Again, for those in the medical community, I apologize for mispronouncing these, which are critical cells in the kidney's filtration apparatus. Membranous nephropathy, like so many side effects, is due to the spike protein and can occur with SARS-CoV-2 infection and with vaccination. Ma and co-workers recently described five cases with the infection and 37 more after COVID-19 vaccination, all with the genetic vaccines except for one with the killed virus vaccine. The woman developed a significant edema and re renal failure requiring escalating treatment, including rituximab. More than a year later, she is not out of the woods and may face the need for dialysis in the future. She told me her doctor was honest with her and agreed her condition was caused by the vaccine. While the majority of cases reported by Ma excuse me, by Ma et al. Had, by Ma et al. had partial recoveries. The prognosis remains uncertain. I was delighted to see this woman sitting with her husband in the gallery of the Kennedy Caucus Room at the recent U.S. Senate Roundtable chaired by Senator Ron Johnson on December 7th. How much more will we learn over time about long-term safety of the COVID-19 vaccines taken? by nearly two-thirds of the world's population. The potential enormity of disease and disability in the future is unfathomable. Wow. That's just freaky stuff, guys. Freaky stuff. I don't know what else to tell you. Jerry finds January 6th prisoner guilty of six charges for illegal weapons, possession of classified documents. From the Epic Times by Patricia Tolson, December 13th. Updated December 14th. After closing arguments in a week-long trial, a jury found a January 6th prisoner guilty on six charges related to possession of unregistered firearms, grenades, and classified documents. Which is interesting because I would have loved to have been able to take home a grenade. Even though I had plenty access to them while I was in Afghanistan, there was absolutely no way for me to take one. After deliberating for just over five and a half hours, a jury found Jeremy Brown of Tampa, Florida, guilty of six of ten charges in an indictment related to items seized in his recreational vehicle and residence during the execution of a search warrant as part of an ongoing investigation into his connection to the events of January 6, 2021 at the U.S. Capitol. Presiding over the December 12 trial at the U.S. District Court for the Middle District of Florida was District Judge Susan Bucklew. According to the Second Supreme 
According to the second superseding indictment filed November 8, 2022, counts 1 through 4 charged Brown with knowingly possessing a 410 gauge shotgun with a barrel of less than 18 inches in length and a 556 caliber rifle having a barrel less than 16 inches in length not registered to him in the National Firearms Registration and Transfer Record in violation of 26 U.S.C. 5841. Brown was also charged with possessing two explosive grenades also not registered in violation of the same code but uh, with a A and 8, letter A and the letter 8 in parentheses. Count 5 charged Brown with knowingly storing explosive material quote, in a manner not in conformity with regulations pursuant to 18 U.S.C. 847, close quote. Counts 6 through 10 were related to a CD on which top secret, secret or confidential information was allegedly found. One count was related to Brown's possession of a single classified document related to former prisoners of war, Bowie Bergdahl. During closing arguments, prosecuting attorney Nino Goodman proposed that Brown, a 20-year retired U.S. Army Special Forces combat veteran, that explains how he got some of this stuff, who served in Iraq and Afghanistan, obtained the top secret documents and grenades while serving overseas in 2005. Goodman also played a recording of a phone call between Brown and his girlfriend, Tylene Aldridge, shortly after his arrest. In the recording, Aldridge mentioned the items again the item the items agents took from their home. When she told him about the grenades, Brown said nothing. Goldman told the jury Brown's silence was because he wasn't surprised. However, Brown's attorney, Roger Futerman, argued that the grenades and a CD had been planted by investigators during the search of the property. You know, I've been saying all along, when are they going to plant stuff? The search at Mar-a-Lago? Why didn't they just plant something after all the hours that they were there? I mean, seriously, think about that. Why didn't they? Are, are they holding to some moral code? <laughs> He noted that forensic tests conducted on the grenades by the FBI revealed the presence of DNA from two men. Neither belonged to Brown. An animal hair found on one of the grenades did not match either of Brown's two dogs, Futerman said. The CD case, which Brown is alleged to have had in his possession for 17 years, was pristine bearing no fingerprints or scratches, the attorney added. Futerman also questioned how Brown was to have smuggled these items through customs, right, without detection. The individual responsible for logging each photo of ev evidence testified that she never saw a photo of the CD. The jury found him not guilty of the four remaining charges related to the CD. Quote, the evidence was manipulated and planted Close quote, Futerman said.
Quote, I can't tell you when it was planted or who planted it, but the forensics don't lie, close quote. Fuderman also noted how the federal agents immediately turned off all video cameras when they arrived at the property. Which, remember, they did that in Mar-a-Lago as well. Which is curious. If they have nothing to hide, why would it bother them to have video surveillance going? Bucklew set Brown's sentencing date for March 13th. Aldred told the Epic Times they are going to appeal. So they're now finally doing what I've said they were planning to do all along. I don't know why they took so long. Just the News, December 17th, by John MacGillan. MacGillan. My apologies, sir. Concerns grow that China using video games to influence users harvest data shape narratives. Now, I'll admit, I'm a gamer, so this article was interesting to me. Although China strictly polices gaming content for its home market, banning dissenting political views and permissive social values, major Chinese companies are aggressively expanding market share globally. The field of international relations is synonymous with the concept of power, more specifically hard power and soft power. The former refers to a country's use of coercive tactics to get what it wants. The latter employs the carrot rather than the stick. It involves the shaping of preferences through more subtle means. For example, soft power include economic power, political and religious values, diplomacy, and culture. Within culture, we find art, music, and video games. Yes, video games. With their vast popularity and reach, video games are among the most influential, if often overlooked, forms of soft power in today's world. But one place it's not overlooked is Beijing. Last year, the CCP, Communist Chinese Party, referred to online gaming as spiritual opium, warning that the industry now worth hundreds of billions could destroy generations. Soon after the announcement, Beijing barred those under the age of 18 from gaming on weekdays and limited their play to just three hours on weekends. Although China vigilantly, although China vigilantly polices gaming content for its home market, banning dissenting political views and permissive social values, major Chinese companies have made deep inroads in the international gaming market, acquiring gaming studios across the globe and aggressively expanding market share. Because of these acquisitions, video games may look a little different in the future, warn many cultural commentators and industry observers. That's because video games are more than just a form of entertainment. They are highly immersive, narrative-driven storytelling mediums. In the 1960s, the Hungarian-born American academic George Gerbner put forward a sociological communications framework aptly titled Cultivation Theory. In an analysis that continues to influence media psychologists to this day, 
Gerbner argued that sustained exposure to mass media, especially television, and dominant medium of his day, eventually shapes users' perceptions of social reality in profound ways. Video games, too, can inform or distort perceptions of reality, and the CCP appears to be using them to influence the ways in which users view China and its government. According to a 2021 Guardian article, for example, this includes banning references to pro-democracy movements in Hong Kong and comparing Chinese ruler Xi Jinping to Winnie the Pooh. Games are being geared to directly reflect Chinese values. Many of those that Beijing is attempting to influence reside in the U.S. Gaming is now one of the United States' favorite pastimes, with 214 million active gamers among the nation's 329 people. The average gamer now spends more than 8 hours a week gaming. That's 384 hours a year, or 16 full days. Some play as many as 80 hours a week, or 160 days per year. Damn, 80 hours a week. Music, movies, and TV simply can't compete with the allure of gaming. This explains why Chinese companies like Bite Me, I mean, excuse me, Bite Dance, B-Y-T-E, Dance, parent company of the wildly popular and increasingly controversial video sharing platform, TikTok, are also cashing in on the gaming craze. Between 2001 and 2022, ByteDance's portfolio generated more than $1 billion worldwide in revenue from mobile games alone. Another huge Chinese company, Tencent, is also busy growing its gaming empire. In an attempt to reach more users, Tencent has poured considerable sums into acquiring overseas partners and development centers. Take the video game development studio Timi or Tiny T I M I Studio Group, for example, a subsidiary of Tencent Games. Timi is headquartered in Shenzhen, China, with offices in Singapore, Montreal, Chengdu, and Shanghai. Although barriers to entry for Chinese companies Looking to enter Western markets are low. The same is not true for Western companies looking to enter China. For example, foreign gaming companies looking to enter China are legally obliged to have a local partner, as journalist Oliver Holmes has reported. This has benefited, excuse me, this has benefited the likes of Tencent. As Holmes highlighted, Tencent, a company with close ties to the Chinese government, has acquired large stakes in a number of foreign video game operations. Only after such partial acquisitions and partnerships have been consumed, excuse me, have been consummated, are foreign firms allowed access to China's lucrative gaming market. Riot Games the company behind League of Legends, one of the most successful games of all time, sold a 93% stake to Tencent for somewhere in the region of $400 million. 
Tencent has also either invested in or completely bought out dozens of other huge video game companies, including Activision Blizzard, Ubisoft, Platinum Games, From Software, Marvelous Incorporated, and Epic Games. Man. The company responsible for Fortnite, the most popular on online game in the world. Fortnite has 270 million players worldwide, including 83 million residing in the U.S. Games aren't just a narrative-driven medium that can serve as a vehicle for stealth cultural imperialism. They are also a data harvesting medium. Again, this fact is not lost on China, a country that has, according to reports, stolen the personal data of 80% of Americans. In a 2020 op-ed for the Wall Street Journal, Jordan Schneider and Dave Attell asked if Chinese video games posed a, district, a distinct threat to U.S. national security. They answered with a resounding yes. Companies like Tencent are using games to spread soft power and collect the data of U.S. citizens, they, they wrote. More worryingly, they continued, with access to hundreds of millions of devices, China has an unrivaled opportunity to use games to conduct intelligence ops. According to a recent Heritage Foundation podcast, some Chinese-backed games come with software that runs on a gamer's computer even when they are not playing, and this software could be used to collect data and monitor online activity. Gaming technology has come a long way from the days of Pac-Man and Super Mario. Today gamers don headsets and enter all-consuming virtual worlds for hours or even days at a time. Going forward with the advent of the metaverse, gaming is set to become even more captivating and even more consuming with even more data being harvested. As gaming, as gaming evolves, China's grip on this sector appears to be tightening. Man, oh man, oh man. You guys have heard about Twitter files. This is an interesting article from the Republican Daily by Adnin, published December 18th. Musk and Taibbi demand answers about FBI asking Twitter to track Americans, nail Ted Lieu, and trouble admission. Journalist Matt Taibbi dropped the sixth installment of the Twitter files on Friday, showing the close relationship between the FBI and Twitter, with regular contacts from the corrupt BI to Twitter flagging speech to take action against, as well as regular weekly meetings between Twitter and the corrupt BI, DHS, and other agencies, according to Matt Taibbi. Eighty agents were assigned to this task. The corrupt BI responded as though this was a completely normal thing. And here's what they said. The corrupt BI regularly engages with private sector entities to provide information specific to identified foreign malign influence actors, subversive, un undeclared, covert, or criminal activities. 
private sector entities independently make decisions about what, if any, action they take on their platforms and for their customers after the corrupt BI has notified them. Taibbi tweeted that agents were being tasked to flag people for tweets rather than going after people for things like being child sex predators. That's when Rip Ted Lieu, a Democrat from California, responded and things went over the edge. He claimed that he was on the House Judiciary, the House Judiciary Committee, which has oversight, and Taibbi was lying. That's when Taibbi dropped the bomb on Lou, on Big Lou. Taibbi said, "Being on that committee, you should know." How much has been spent and how, much, how many DHS, DOJ employees have been assigned to monitoring and flagging social media? Why is the corrupt BI asking for location information about ordinary Americans and media outlets like at RSB Network? What law enforcement objective is served by asking for Billy Baldwin's location information? Why is the corrupt BI DHS in the business of analyzing and flagging social media content at all when were these programs created and who approved them? <clears throat> who approved them so the corrupt bi wasn't just flagging tweets they didn't like such as jokes about when the election was for action but they were also taking asking twitter to provide them the location of the people behind the tweets including right side broadcasting and Billy Baldwin. What can even begin to justify that? I don't know who this is, or I've never heard of it, but it's still wrong. Twitter owner Elon Musk called those good questions and asked Ted Lieu what the explanation for this was. That's when Big Lou stepped into it and gave up the game. Dear at Elon Musk, says Big Lou, simp or tweets Big Lou, simple answer, have you tried reading the Corrupt BI's mission from 2017 program? The Corrupt BI considers strategic engagement with U.S. technology companies, including threat indicator sharing, to be important in combating foreign influence actors. So, Big Lou then admitted he was aware of the program. So there's not only government involvement in going after speech, but the corrupt BI tracking Americans for speech that didn't even come close to a crime under the guise of trying to go after foreign influence and threats. And Big Lou is admitting he knew and trying to justify it. What were they... What were they going to do when they got the location of people like Billy Baldwin? Designate manpower to follow people for joking about the election? Last time I checked, Billy Baldwin didn't represent much of a threat except to people's sensibilities for his bad acting. But he, just like everyone else that they were going after, serves basic constitutional protections. Can we scream out how much this needs to stop? What a constitutional problem it is? And how much we need answers on this? Just as a coda 
Maybe part of the problem is that so many corrupt BI officials became Twitter officials. That's it, guys. Wow. Uh, man, so much going on. So much crap going on in the world. Like we've always said, what's your foundation? You need to have some kind of foundation to help ground you and keep you from going mad or from giving up hope. So as a reminder, next Sunday is Christmas and I implore you to take a moment and maybe read the Christmas story in the Bible about the birth of Jesus with your family. If that's not your thing, then just Take a moment and be thankful for all the things that you've been blessed with. And you may say, God didn't bless me with these things. I worked for them. As the country moves forward, all these things that you, air quotes, worked for, how will you feel when they're taken away? Anyway. Stay safe out there. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I'll see you next time.